0: Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. And for thirty dollars off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com/slash/braincandy30 and enter BRAINCANDY30. Did Welcome. I kind of sound like Eeyore there? No,
1: no. I wasn't trying to. But even I was if just, you
0: wanted to, oh. you could not sound that's like sad. Whatever. He, he was is. my
1: favorite. My mom said when I was little, she's like, or grown up, she said, I knew that you would make a good therapist because your favorite. Cartoon characters growing up were Oscar the Grouch and Eeyore because you wanted to help them feel better. I mean, if
0: that doesn't explain our friendship, really nothing. (laughs) Really think about that. That is weird. They were. I loved them the most. Why? All the only people I cared about. Did you want them to stop being sad, or you were fine with it?
1: No. Oh, good question. I think I wanted them. I I wanted to make them feel better. I wanted them to not be sad. But I wasn't like sad. They were sad. I accepted that they were sad. God. I see your sadness. I'm here to witness your sadness.
0: Wow. Well, We went you, deep real quick. We're Whoa. glad you guys are here to witness our <laughs> sadness. Episode 229. It is June. We're feeling good. It's summer. I've made it th- almost 30 episodes without rhyming. You wanted to so bad. So bad. It. I felt it. almost it. came out and I was like, Meep. I She's swallowed like, it. She's like
1: feeling. But-
0: <laughs> <laughs> she Stop being hilarious. It's totally it. what was
1: happening in my head.
0: I'm proud of you though, because I really was over Thank you that. So much. I was over it, as our listeners were too. What do you want to talk about? Mm. I got stuff. I mean,
1: always. Uh, I read the weirdest fact I think I've weirdest animal fact I think I've ever heard.
0: Okay, let,
1: there's let hear a it. tick called the Lone Star tick that if it bites you makes you a vegetarian.
0: What? Yeah. There you go. What do you mean, though? I mean, this is exactly going to be terrible because you won't know No, anything. I do. I know okay. all about it.
1: <laughs> I wrote because I knew I know. that Susie was going to say, what do you mean? And I'm going to have to explain myself. Okay. So it's a, it's called the Lone Star State, not because I thought it was because it was from Texas or something, but it just has a spot on the back that looks like a star or yeah, maybe yeah. like the shape of Texas. And when it bites you, it makes you allergic to a carbohydrate called galactose acid. Alpha-1-3-galactose. It's weird. And uh, <laughs> it is fine if you eat fish or chicken, but also they said fine if you were to eat humans. which I <laughs> Who thought,
0: said this? The
1: article, which I was... And it said, don't do that. But if you were to, it would be fine. That's a weird caveat. I, they were just being okay. f- clever okay. or trying to. But you will be allergic to red meat, which is what... This, uh,
0: and poultry, like, uh, no, chicken's egg. fine, and
1: fish is fine, and pork is fine. Pork. It's just something in red meat. Well, this specific carbohydrate oh, that right. our body fights off, and you have basically go into anaphylactic shock if you eat red meat because your body is now allergic to it.
0: Weird, yeah. I mean, you did oversell it because it doesn't make you a vegetarian, okay? That's true, but still bizarre, <laughs> yeah. That would be a bummer. Mm -hmm. But they
1: said, okay, if you did, and it's for your life, there's no cure. So if you wanted a hamburger, you'd have to take a, a, like a, you know, like a, what do you call it? Uh, An EpiPen. Yes. And then you can enjoy your burger.
0: (laughs) You know, that's probably one of those things where it's so rare that- It's so rare. Like I bet the cure is super simple. It's probably like, just put some sage on your butthole or something, <laughs> but they haven't yeah. figured it out because it's not like anyone's going to research this. It's right. like, get it's over like it. It's like super
1: rare. Okay. You have yeah. burgers. Right.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is And a it good was only fact.
1: discovered in recently because people didn't attribute being allergic to red meat to this tick bite. So it's only been discovered recently, the connection. So people have been suffering from, not suffering, I don't know, the five people who've ever had it. Ben, ben. But
0: they're not just in Texas. No, they're anywhere.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's te- but they are oh. rare. Okay,
0: yeah. and they're in the U.S. or no? Yeah, in the U.S. Well, that sounds terrible. Yeah, but not that bad. Not but that it's bad. weird fact. Thanks I for sharing. So too. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think I have any animal facts. Oh my today. god. Okay. Well.
1: Oh, do you have a bunch for <laughs> well, some reason? I mean, not a bunch, but what do you got?
0: People? Well, speaking of red meat, yeah. Oh, that's always a I was just story. reading this little article in Adweek about the George Foreman Grill. Yes. and just
1: like... I'm a cat of- owner.
0: <laughs> Are you? Uh, yes.
1: I don't have one. Maybe that'll be on my Christmas list. Oh, it's very handy. Tell me what you like about it. It this is what I It's super know. convenient. And it, it's very great if you're looking to have flavorless, healthy food. <laughs> Why
0: would anyone want that?
1: Well, when you're, it's it's really good if you are like
0: a bodybuilder. Yes.
1: Or I learned it from Scott Herman, who was my castmate on The Real World. And he always had grilled chicken and broccoli or whatever, as that. And he would just grill up four at a time and put them in the little plastic containers and meal prep it. And that's what I did with my. Micro- oh, and it's also great for cooking bacon. Oh. Because it keeps them nice and flat. Right. And it makes all the grease drip off. Right. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, everyone's seen this thing, and a lot of people friggin' love it. Yeah. And it's one of those rare infomercial things that you're, like, really glad you bought. Uh Because you know how usually it's, like, it sounds great. It's like my
1: alma maker for one. Remember that?
0: (laughs) Right. Sarah has regrets. Terrible,
1: total regrets.
0: Yeah, but like, you know, you might end up with the food dehydrator or Right. Like whatever. How much food are we dehydrating? to need another machine for it? And it was big too. Goodness gracious. If you have bought anything from the Ronco company, <laughs> I want to hear yes. from you. Yes. Because that
1: guy is I saw one for uh, an ad for uh, a a wa- it's all your summer essentials, a waffle cone maker.
0: Come
1: like, on, who essentials? Ne-? Yes, that's what that they said.
0: Is a stretch.
1: Available also at Target. I was like, get out with your fucking waffle maker, not waffle waffle cone maker. Ridiculous. Anyways,
0: that's ridiculous. I love when they call them essentials. Yeah, though. that's so great. It's like essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the article was just sort of the backstory on the George Foreman grill and how this inventor created it and then approached George oh. and George was he like... He really didn't take all the credit for that, didn't he? He really did, but I'm sure the, the inventor's fine with it. Yeah, yeah. Because he's rich. But Do you think um, the inventor
1: also named all of his kids George? <laughs> we all should.
0: Um, <laughs> that is a weird thing that Such George did. Such a
1: weird thing.
0: I don't think enough people talk about that. No, I, don't, I agree. Like, we've accepted that he did it too quickly. And
1: Cheyenne from the show... Is friends with one of the Georges. No.
0: Yes. Did she talk about it? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure. Yeah. No, I'm sure. I don't think <laughs> did it bother her? It. She made peace with it. No. But no I didn't what? ask her
1: like which one was those. She's just like, yeah, oh, which, I Did they I just, go by
0: nicknames like probably? Shorty. Oh, I don't know. You did a funny tweet the other day. I thought you'd like that. It took me a minute. Didn't you see my reply? No, I I didn't even reply. I didn't
1: even reply. I didn't even look to see how well it was doing because that's why I don't tweet because the the anxiety of wondering if it was a good one or a bad one or if I made some sort of mistake (laughs) is too much. I can't handle it.
0: Sarah tweeted that. Do you think Susan was actually lazy or it was sort of like if you call your tall friend shorty? Is that (laughs) basically it? Basically the gist of it. And at first I. Was I had no idea what you were talking about because you don't do jokes and stuff on Twitter. So I was like, I wrote back, is this code? What are we talking about here? And it's my name, Susan. So I was like, is she referring to me? Right? Is this like a subtweet to me? And then it dawned on me, oh, she's being clever. Well, because we were in Hawaii and I saw
1: a lazy Susan and I just was walking by and I asked Landon, like... How lazy was that chick to get <laughs> that named after her? And then I couldn't stop laughing about it. And he was like, Oh, you should probably put that in your oh, tweet. Oh, okay. So it
0: was one of my, you know, trying to be funny things. This isn't gonna I'm gonna have to go research the lazy Susan now. Well, oh, you that know would be a, be a good idea. idea. But I suspect Susan probably invented it. Oh. I I'm think gonna, so? That'd be my theory. What do you what do you theorize? I feel like it's just somebody with she was just being really ironic. You're like, you know? Oh, she was not lazy, I yeah. think. Okay. So Sarah wondered, you know, is it like when you call your tall friend Shorty? Mm-hmm. And so I bet George and his sons have like mm-hmm. nicknames that mm-hmm. have nothing to do with George. Yeah. Anyway, George didn't want to do the George Foreman grill. And then his wife oh, cooked with it. And she imagine? was like, George, this is good. Yeah. And, and could so you imagine he if it.
1: he said no to that? We would not. We,
0: people I don't know. remember
1: him for his boxing career.
0: <laughs> wasn't he good though? Yeah. Oh, but this the grill fact that you had battered. to ask me if he was or wasn't that doesn't mean anything. I don't know anything about sports, but you do know about his bar- grill, right? That's... So he wouldn't have been as famous. What would be amazing is if somebody that was into sports mainly knew him because of the grill. Mm-hmm. I see. Correct. We don't know about that. We need to take a poll. <laughs> um, but do you think I should get one? Mm. I'm just curious. It
1: depends on, like, what... It's good for speedy cooking.
0: Yeah. I, I do like that. Easy it, clean
1: it'd probably be, Yeah, it'd probably be good for hot dog... Ever, but you've got a, a nice, wonderful husband who cooks on the barbecue for you. Yeah. And you've got a great barbecue outside. Yeah, but this is for
0: indoor grilling. Yeah. Well, who needs it anyway? Because I have friggin' HelloFresh. There you go. I don't need George Foreman. Me? I also have HelloFresh. Yes. Yeah, Sarah's jealous, though, because she looked in my fridge... I like your meals better than mine! <laughs> she... Pick different ones. Well, you know
1: what I did? Because I chose the... Healthy yeah. plan. I chose the one that was like under nice. like five hundred and fifty calories or whatever. So I'm eating healthy over at the Patterson house.
0: But now she's coveting my yeah, like, you know oh, normal. Those poblano beef tacos look so good. <laughs> there, there. You can get you know a variety too if you want to try them. But that's the cool thing. They have different plans you can choose from, and the box is made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients, which we love. And Sarah and her husband think they're freaking. Uh, so good. Michelin star. Yeah, we
1: really do. I, chefs I, I, of I had to not take a picture of mine last night because I'm like, you should have. cares Sarah. about couscous and salmon and green beans, Sarah? I'm mad But that it you looked didn't. so good.
0: Sarah, we have. I ate it too fast. Content matters. Sorry. But I ate it too Don't fast. Don't worry. I have another one tonight I'm making. Um, HelloFresh is awesome. It's super simple, super convenient, and, you know, it makes. You not have to go to the store very much, which love I and really And no food love. waste. I always say that. No food waste. And if you want a deal, you can get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com slash BrainCandy30 and enter BrainCandy30. It is so worth it. You should definitely try it. Really it. Is. Simple, delicious, yummy meals, and lots of variety. They change each week. So uh, once again, if you missed that, HelloFresh.com. And slash brain candy thirty and enter code brain candy thirty. Um, okay, moving on. Mm-hmm. There was an article in GQ. Actually, weirdly, I read the article and then saw that it was written by a friend of mine on Twitter mm. named Sophia. But she was saying that she thinks kissing is disgusting.
1: What it's and like is best. anti
0: and doesn't understand why it's a part of the mating ritual. And I wanted your thoughts.
1: I think it's very... I want to know why almost all animals instinctively kiss you on the mouth. Why does my dog... Like, to show affection, my dog will kiss me, like, lick in that area of the face. I was watching um, a video on a kangaroo sanctuary in Australia. And all the little kangaroos come up and they give kisses by, like, licking the person right next to their mouth. And I wonder, what is it? Is it that we speak out of there and there's something that's, well, the, it's got to be, its there's something about biologically, like something about why we do this. I just don't know what the heck it is. Well, I was saying in the
0: article that it could be the about the pheromones in yeah. determining whether this is a good match mm-hmm. through the smell and taste of. The pheromones it's more
1: skill that makes me determine whether or not it's that's for
0: sure well that pheromone thing seems subconscious though it is so that could be true and then it also theorized that possibly it came from that weird chewing food and then putting it in your baby's mouth thing that, oh. like our ancestors maybe did weird did I- they though I don't, I I never heard that before, but it said that in the article and I was like, did I miss something in the old evolutionary Yeah? I took biological (laughs) anthropology and
1: that didn't come up. I guess
0: I know that some animals do Mm -hmm. that, but I didn't think humans were involved in that nastiness. Mm -hmm. But she was like, regardless of where it comes from, why are we still doing this? It's gross. It's like a wet, sloppy, dirty uh, handshake. She's
1: a bad kisser.
0: She says that. She goes, maybe that's the problem. I admit it, but... Because if you have a good kiss...
1: It's, you want more. And you're like all juicy-goosy. It's good. <laughs> it works. A good kiss. Do you think
0: you're a good kisser? I think, like, I think
1: I'm Like, what's your special? Average? Oh, I'm like a lower lip biter. Mm-hmm. I'm not a God. heavy on the tongue use. That's fine. I don't like a lot of tongue. Why? I just don't like it. And I just, sometimes I feel like they're delivering spit into my mouth. Ew. It feels like there's they're literally like...
0: Well, obviously the lip to tongue ratio must be Yeah, optimal. I need like a
1: little, like not really. Yeah, I don't I'm into to.
0: that bottom lip thing though. Yeah, I do that. I mean.
1: I bet I'm a better kisser with women than with men.
0: Wow. You are really playing into our audience. <laughs> I don't mean to be, but I just feel like what because I'm more lately? aggressive in that. What? You're a more aggressive kisser with women? Yeah. You're the one pushing spit in their mouth. Probably. <laughs> What makes you more aggressive? Are you trying to be the dominant partner or what? No, I don't know. I'm just thinking that how I would do it and that,
1: I, like, I don't know. Maybe that probably, that there's probably something to be said about, you know, like social roles and like how even in just thinking about it, I would switch based on stereotypes and, and, you know, social roles that are, we've like,
0: are I societally you're tired. created. You're like sick of talking about no. it. So You're like, look, Suze, I'm queer. Uh, Remember recently on an episode where you said you're like queer as fuck. Yeah. Um, Uh, Well, part. So you know how when you're kissing and like part of what makes it really great is if they know where to put their hands. Oh yeah. You know. And she was saying that was part of her argument for why what she doesn't know what to do with them. Would she keep them at her side? Just real straight. (laughs) Like the
1: picture of Lincoln in his sweatsuit.
0: No, she was saying like if the best part has nothing to do with the kiss oh, itself, what's the point how this? good is no, it? No,
1: it's good, and you feel sparks. It's like where it is probably a chemistry thing. Yeah, you know what I recently discovered that I love hmm. the, my ear getting like a little nibble, nibble. Oh yeah, I like never knew that. What's not? Maybe nobody ever did that to me. Yeah, what do you like? And then, about like, it? Landon did it jokingly, and I was like, oh, oh. you gotta not do that jokingly. <laughs> and I'm like, say that into my ear. It got you all worked so up. Best.
0: Good for you, Sarah. I know, it's not,
1: you know, you really do come into your sexuality at 30 plus.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret. Well, they, and they say like 40 too. I'm oh, wait, I can't wait. I, I know. Ooh. Wait, what is supposedly the peak for women? I, I think it's like mid thirties. Oh, mid thirties. Yeah. Okay, all right. You're in it. I'm sister. on the downslope. No, you're good. Um, you're still not Enough. Yeah. Then there was this whole uproar about the article, and then there were people writing think pieces like defending the kiss. Mm-hmm. And I am on. I'm pro.
1: Oh, I'm super pro kiss. Except that one guy in high school who came at me with the tongue out first. You're out of here.
0: Yeah, that is not. A Maybe good it's kiss. just like
1: I've had more bad kisses with dudes. Oh, yeah. That's probably that where. Makes that's sense. probably where it is. Where my better kiss with women thing comes from yeah. is because the kisses i've had are, they're always better with women than they are with men wow. and maybe that is because it's not a dominant submissive thing there isn't right. that that there's
0: equality
2: yeah
1: that's what it feels like more it's not a it's because it's not a i was trying to think like i'm like i'm not dominant
0: do you think kissing is equal. more of a female thing like do you think two gay guys are super into oh, kissing we would have to ask some gay guys i know i don't know i don't know either i I thought they would be the same, but now I'm thinking, is this a gender thing? I think it maybe it is. Right. Because
1: I can get more done as far as like uh, arousal. Like I feel that, I think kissing does that way more than the other stuff.
0: hmm Sarah always talks about how you got to get the, the oven preheated. Preheat it. And that's the secret. Yeah. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I'd rather take
1: 15 minutes of kissing than 15 minutes of other stuff. Other stuff. Whatever that other stuff is. Yeah, what is that? I just feel you use your imagination.
0: (laughs) She's playing coy. Um, Yeah, I'm waiting to get to
1: episode 229, uh, and then I'm going to get shy.
0: She's (laughs) self-censoring. There was a study, however, this is like a separate thing that I read, um, that they did on college freshmen – who had never been kissed Mm -hmm. and they it was a very large study of these people that were starting their college career and had not been kissed and they found certain traits were more common amongst them so of the people they surveyed 14 percent of them had never kissed anyone ocd high on that list no, well, maybe that's like implicit because it said they are more neurotic, yeah. which you know. Often... I think this is an
1: OC, I think it's a mental illness kind of thing sometimes for some of them because okay. a lot of them seek treatment and they can't be and physical with other people like because this... they, it's too. It's like a germ invasive germ okay. thing,
0: and then they're of course this is also a duh uh, more introverted, so yeah, they're the pro- you know more shy, so they have less opportunity.
1: Yeah, less interaction with people to begin with. Some and more game. likely
0: to be an honors student. It's like oh. freaking Screech from Save the Bell. And more
1: likely to be an honors... St- well, luckily I got kissed because I'm kind of like all those things on that list.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you are. You're not... I mean, you say you're introverted, but... Only
1: when I'm not on here. I don't
0: accept it. <laughs> right. it's the truth. Um, yeah, so Screech from Save of the Bell is probably the best example of this. I wonder, like i've known he's people, a good example i've known people that had, were virgins until
2: very yeah. late in
0: life yeah. yeah um by the way i didn't ask did you see that i did an interview with john brennan from the real world los angeles he was the cowboy
1: is this the one no i mean i don't think i saw the interview no i obviously i didn't see the no, interview. no but, but like is he the one who's bald or is that jamie that was James. That's James. Yeah. He, he, now he's James, so oh, excuse me.
0: He was always James. Really? James Orlando, yeah. I was, that was James. That's a different one. Oh, God, I'm getting
1: my old school cast members mixed <laughs> up. Good thing you handled anyway, that. Anyway,
0: John Brennan was 19 when he was cast. He was a virgin, just like me. Uh-huh. And he was that character. And he believes in staying a virgin until you're married. Well, he's 43 now. <gasps> he's not married. Did you ask him about that?
1: No. No. I couldn't. You can't. Because
0: I felt like that would be what I hate about the producers. Right. That they ask questions that are not...
1: Right. Unless they want to volunteer that information. Wow. Okay. Well then. And he said... Does he strike you as an honor student?
0: No, but he strikes me as a virgin. Mm. (laughs) I think he's still a virgin. And I'd say great for him. There's lots of priests and other clergy uh, monks that are chaste and... It's just shocking, though, that you could go all that time. I think there's some... It can sometimes
1: lead to problems. This is just clinically and just what it shows up in studies. Yeah. That people who have very narrow views of sexuality and like how it's expressed... Will have higher rates of performance anxiety and problems when it comes time to do those things, and problems related to, or, like arousal disorders, orgasm disorders. Yeah, because the same way we were joking, like I even had this thought. You know how we were saying that oh, women we reach their sexual peak in yeah. their mid thirties or whatever. I was even thinking, what if it's just experience? And what if it's just that you need to get to know yourself? For and sure. Women are just the numbers of times where we've indulged in self-love at 40 now meets the number of times that a guy has done it at 24 when he's reached a sexual maturity. And it's just that we've, it's almost like... They're you, a little more familiar gotta,
0: with their anatomy. Yes,
1: it's like getting familiar anatomy. with your anatomy is really the trick.
0: Um, I've been getting familiar with my anatomy by... Uh, going in my swimming pool in new bathing suits. Oh, Did you see any? Anatomy's
1: looking gorgeous in those bathing suits. <laughs> yeah, a lot of
0: people are getting familiar with my yeah. anatomy. In fact, I jokes. brought over
1: my red vintagey looking bathing suit so that I could take a picture with you in your blue vintage bathing suit so we could look <gasps> adorable so for Fourth cu- of July.
0: That is so cute. I can't stand I know. it. I got a lot of questions about my blue velvet. So bathing suit. cute. And people were like, Can you really go in the water? Like can you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just like a regular one, except more adorable. But mod cloth is where I've been getting them all because they have such cute suits, really nice styles that are flattering. Um and they have sizes from double XS all the way up to four X. So really have a wide range, and they're freaking adorable. Um and they also have really cute sundresses, Hand lots bags, of denim shoes. Yeah, they've got tons of stuff. If you want to get something new, spice up your summer wardrobe, um this is the place to go. They have tons of different fits that are flattering for different bodies and I love mine. So you can get a deal. Go get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more. Go to modcloth.com, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com, and enter promo code BRAINCANDY at checkout. Hurry, this offer expires on September 1st, and it's uh, 15% off your purchase of $100 or more. Go to modcloth.com and enter promo code BRAINCANDY at checkout. I love a deal.
1: Oh, me too.
0: Um, okay, wait. What were you just saying about... Talking about... Oh, our anatomy and all that. Uh-huh. I was reading this article about how women often don't push to have orgasms during sex. Like That is the truth. And how messed up it is. This yeah. article was... Did we talk about it? No. It was talking about how to, to think that only one person should have an orgasm during the encounter is so patriarchal mm-hmm. and just sort of makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Like why should one finish and not the other? Mm-hmm. And it was basically making the point of like, you should insist that this is the, how it's going to go. I'll chime up
1: for the people who have a difficult time getting to that place. Yeah. Cause it's very rare for me. Cause it takes about four to five minutes and I, not a lot of people have well, that kind of time.
0: Let me ask you this. Because yeah. in the article, it talked about how um, women, when they masturbate, yeah. have an orgasm 95% of the time. Yeah. And
1: I'm 100%. It happen- <laughs> right. <laughs> who's who's giving up? Yeah. I'm definitely but, not giving up that 5%. Yeah.
0: And it happens very quickly. Mm-hmm. So we know- Yeah. It's, that- meant, it's
1: con- related to our mind and our thought process. And,
0: and so, for some people, their partner's inadequacy- yeah. at, Correct. Completing that task yeah. and maybe communicating what is feels good and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, but you know, anyone that's rubbing it out knows we can do it, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. So it was the article was saying, please, ladies, yeah, just make it happen. Yeah. So you, what do you do? Get stage fright? You think? Yeah. Oh my God. And
1: uh, because I have a history of sexual trauma, I tend to dissociate when I'm in a place where. So it has to be. I bet that's common too. Very common. Yeah. And when you have eight out of 10 women who have experienced some sort of sexual abuse.
0: Yeah, good point. There's a lot of
1: people who, and there's 33% of the female population cannot experience an orgasm. How many? 33. It's about a third of women. No,
0: that's vaginally. Yeah, Sarah, let's be
1: vaginal orgasm through straight sex. Yeah, that's a different penetration. Yeah, but
0: yeah, get your mouth down there, dummies. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: that you know it takes. And then there's that level of being able to be comfortable enough with yourself to be that vulnerable in that place. Yeah. And so it's why like, do
0: men have these problems?
1: It's so hard. Well, They're they fine. do.
0: They do. Uh, I know you say this. I know
1: I and they do. It's you know what's sad is that the biggest problem is that we have a pill that helps men with the issues that they have. Yeah. And the dropout rate is forty to sixty percent so of men who give up on the pill even helping them so they're in a sad place as well but they don't even seek further help because their goal is like oh I just have to also get it hard and get off and we really lose what sex is supposed to be about which is an intimate connection between two people Yeah, for some kinds of sex is like that you know there's of course you can have your wham bam thank you ma'am whatever Sure, but what people are really searching for is that intimate connection with also a physical release and that comes from you know more than what a pill can give you yeah that solution so a lot of times it, there's more you have to focus on what's going on mentally what is the there's a lot of societal pressures on men to be the one to take charge and like get it done and now they have to be a certain way and I think you know exposure to porn is really hurting I think there's a whole that bunch of stuff is- that For really sure really, really makes it there's so many layers to it. And the worst is that we don't even have the information clinically because mm. a lot of this stuff doesn't get studied because you can't ethically study it. And really there have been big studies conducted on sex since Masters and Johnson in the frickin' 70s yeah why though there was one woman who conducted a few more studies i can't remember her name in the 80s but they were more on the actual application of uh like how to have better sex it was Mm -hmm. more like manual like a manual not really the emotional like it's just hard to study you don't get the kind of and, and the second you put an observer there it changes the interaction between the couples. Whether that is
0: <laughs> and... they were having
1: people. Yeah, Masters and Johnson. This all the sex studies were on where they were getting I remember two people that in now. a room and they were like, hey, we need and then they that's got so no funny then Masters ended up marrying Johnson and they had he left his wife for the person he was studying with and there were a whole bunch of problems ethically I mean, with that because he that got all happen. of his researchers to also engage in sex with each other because they said we need to learn. Same with Alfred Kinsey. Yeah back like that's what they yeah. were doing. We can't do that now. Well, we can't be like, also, <laughs> you need to bang all your researchers.
0: Right. And as much as that's a fantasy for me. well, it, Right. It, but that's the thing, though. You're going to then attract participants yes. who have different sexual right. tendencies than just your average And bear. all the ones that... We, and there are a bunch of different... You look at the differences
1: like uh, in different cultures and what... Sex is like... We've been studying sex for white American college students because those are the people participating in these research studies.
0: That was another thing that surprised me was that 50% of the world's cultures don't kiss romantically. What? 50%. That's what the GQ article said. What? I don't believe that. (laughs) I don't know. It's shocking, right? That's shocking. But the French do it so
1: well. Mm. Once I hooked remember did I tell you about my
0: French poet guy? Oh, I thought you were talking about Frenchie that we met in Las Vegas. Oh, also
1: him. He Wait, was Well, you a really, really have a French kid. thing. I do. Just two. Well, two's a lot. We live in America. Right. Landon always brings it up. He's like, Oh, you're French poet in England <laughs> in Europe.
0: Oh, was he yeah. great?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean it wasn't bad.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't kick him out of bed I for wouldn't eating kick crackers' him out of bed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. The
1: crackers ain't the only thing he was eating. There.
0: Oh. Hi. Hey. <laughs> hey now. Wow. I don't, like don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> but I will change the subject completely. Hmm. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I don't need This is a terrible transition. No, oh, I can't wait. Wait, no, I have a good transition. Oh, good. The sex cult we haven't talked about with Allison Mack from Smallville. <gasps>
1: How have we not talked about Okay, it's not I right. no joke. Have this in my notes that i 'm going to have to go back a few weeks because I wrote this down somewhere, and we never talked about it because how did we not talk about this?
0: Well, you look for that because while you 're doing that, I am going to oh wait, can we talk though about how <laughs> you didn't even know that your this is changing the subject yeah but like yeah. you didn 't even know i can 't wait for this that, you <laughs> that your house had filters
1: oh i 'm learning a whole bunch of new things as a homeowner. <laughs>
0: And I was like, Sarah, can you like, wh- what's the deal with your filters? And you're like, we have what? filters. I was Like, what
1: fi- what filter? Because
0: you know how, like, on your furnace or whatever, you you have filters. Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> so some then, people know this. So
0: Sarah found your filter and oh, took a
1: picture. God, you don't want to know what it looks like. It was scary. I don't think anybody's ever changed it ever. And isn't that a fire hazard or something?
0: Right. Like, so once you have a house or whatever, you have to change the filter, and it's like something that's easy to forget, just like in your car because you don't see it. Right.
1: Oh, it's really easy to forget. Right. Obviously.
0: So it's really cool because there is an, a company called Filter Easy that allows you to subscribe, and so then they just send you the filter when you need to change them. So okay. that it's on like a schedule. So people like me, <laughs> you don't, don't have even to think know they about have it. One. You can sign up in under five minutes on your computer or your phone or whatever. And it's just a convenient way to remember, oh, I got to keep the air in my house. Not disgusting.
1: I've automated everything else in my house. Like on subscription, my pest cleaner, you know, guy who does the spiders, he comes like regularly. Nobody ever calls me about it. It just shows up. The guy does it. It's the same thing, yeah?
0: Yeah, it's just a routine replacement of your home air filters. Easy. And it improves the indoor quality of your air. It's a convenient subscription service. Everything, it's something you need. Like a lot of subscriptions are like more just fun. This is like, you actually need You to, actually have to change it. For uh, listeners of our show, you receive your first order free by visiting okay. filtereasy.com or calling 1-855-910-EASY. Make sure you use our offer code, though. It's Brain Candy. Sign up today at FilterEasy.com to get your first order free. That's FilterEasy.com or 1-855-910-EASY. Make sure you use offer code Brain Candy. How great is that? Sounds pretty easy. Right. So that's awesome. Okay. I found it. Okay. So, month,
1: weeks in April, she pled not guilty to sex trafficking charges, but worked as a freaking slave master for these?
0: Yes. This is cool And she was recruiting people to join this branding initials
1: into their skin mm-hmm. what the, but the fact that she's so brainwashed
0: mm-hmm. that
1: she thinks that this a okay is not only a okay but helping people yeah what's going on do you okay. know the
0: details because i feel like she was a, a member of a group called nexium but they spell it real weird
1: n-x-i-v-m
0: yeah and oh, like this, the V
1: is the U, like the old school. Yeah, but where the
0: fuck is the E? I mean, it's stupid.
1: Next yeah. And Ugh, in hard. the
0: article it said, like the heartburn medication. And I thought that was like some sort of weird dig at like, I don't uh-huh. know. But anyway, she was recruiting female members and claimed it was a female empowering right. group. What the hell? And there's this dude that's the head of... The thing, and he's totally average. No female empowerment group right. should be headed by, or poking some holes in your uh, um, dude. your pitch. Mm-hmm. How did she successfully make that pitch? Like this is about women and sisterhood. And by the way, the head <sighs> is this gross guy that you have to bang.
1: Oh well, it remind I'm reading this great book that they're going to turn into a movie called The Butterfly Garden. That's mm-hmm. basically about like women get captured and they kind of in a way fall in love with their capture because he like Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It's Stockholm syndrome. But you also, when you like say, this is what your life used to look like. And now look at how good it is. So you get the right women from the right places or maybe the wrong places. Yeah. And maybe torture looks better than whatever the health. I was talking
0: about cults with somebody and people wanted to know like who is attracted to cults. Yeah. Cause you Did you think, say
1: people like my co-host?
0: <laughs> you would be a prime target. I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because you're open to new things. Yeah, You're not... You're a seeker. Mm-hmm. You're not finished figuring out like your religious mm-hmm. or spiritual identity. And... uh I'm often all in. You've been abused and uh-huh. like stuff like that. Yeah,
1: trauma. See, that's yeah. What I'm you're saying. all in. You yeah.
0: are. You're like super committed. Yeah. <laughs> right. You gotta watch, girl. I know. that's why I have you looking. at That's after why, me like, for. you started to be an evangelical for a while.
2: Remember As when you were?
0: Yeah, when you were like fourteen. How am oh. I telling you about uh, your own life? No, uh, uh, Mormon. Really? Yeah. I got the wrong thing. Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. You didn't go to an evangelical youth group ever.
1: Oh, I went to a Christian youth group.
0: Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah,
1: but it was non-denominational.
0: Yeah, that's evangelical. Is it really? Yeah, is it really? But we didn't have
1: to. To I didn't. There was no no. Um, what is the voices? No, that's uh,
0: Pentecostal. Oh, I
1: get them all mixed up. Oh, <laughs> well, I was in an evangelical church. I love it. Listen,
0: I am not the religious. No, I know, but... Scholar (laughs) sitting
1: at this table.
0: I'm sorry. It's just funny. All right. Um, Yeah, so anyway, she was getting these ladies in, and then as you said, they were branding them. It's crazy. And some of them would wear masks over their face to to prevent them from smelling the burning flesh. Stop it. For real. It's terrible what they did. This is...
1: You know what? If nobody intervened, this is 10 years away from them all being like wild of country Yeah. tough titties yeah for so sure. this being going real dark real quick
0: yeah but i think that's the direction that like the cult movement has to go because yeah. they have to m- they make evolve. it yeah it's got to match they don't the culture to something yeah
1: this is what i asked you before is like have there ever been is, has there is there such thing well i know what you're going to say is there such thing as a successful cult Whoa! Yeah, I know what your answer is.
0: Okay, <laughs> just Christianity. Yeah, but it's yeah, because what happens? You know, <laughs> that's the thing. Once a cult gets enough members and yeah. lasts long enough, then yeah. it's not considered a cult anymore. People used to consider Mormonism a cult, right. things like that. Um, but the ones that we think of as cults—it's only when
1: things go really bad that we yeah, call and they start, a cult.
0: It's usually involving sex. Uh, behavior modification, oh, uh, conformity is like the ultimate virtue. Yeah. yeah, separation from your family, something like That's that. Separation. From- wow. But it, the, the fact that this woman was a successful actress. Right. Well, same with Scientology, though. I know, but. Come on. Yeah, but the sex part was set, like fundamental to yeah, this group. To this. Whereas with Scientology, they kept a lot of that from like the main members mm-hmm. and the fancy. Remember members.
1: in Wild Country, how do you, can you forget when you finally see this like this crazy sex stuff? Do- the- People
0: said, "Susie and Sarah, you didn't talk enough about." I know because I- we didn't. The, the, that docu series was there was so much that there really is you no way that, to do it right. Just-
1: Oh,
0: my flies open. I'm saying... Hey, oh. the sea is hot oh, here. I'm telling Sarah. you. I
1: was wondering. I this was is a wild like blood country breezy in down here.
0: breezy <laughs> Anyway, I hope she goes to jail. She could go for 15 think, years.
1: Oh, thank God. She should. Whoa. Well, you
0: because, go through such a range of emotions. I know, emotions. because I'm just thinking, like,
1: is she... What? Is
0: this Stockholm Syndrome? Is
1: she brainwashed? Who cares?
0: But she was ruining people's lives so yeah. I don't care what the reason is that's true that is terrible what she did
1: and I
0: think being able to know right
1: from wrong and if you really think you're doing well you know what that actually doesn't hold up never mind
0: I'm sure she justified it yeah but in- you
1: know what so the Nazi officers exactly. they tried to too so you know what let them burn Go ahead,
0: Sarah Truly could do this show on her <laughs> own. Like
1: actually, you know, know hang on.
0: <laughs> she has witty banter. This is why it's important
1: to talk out to, to have open discussions about these things because sometimes the ideas that you go into a subject thinking you hold,
0: yeah. you leave, yeah, you change. having you're abandoned. That's so. the good thing about having an open mind.
1: Yeah, you,
0: yeah you um, may you join a cult. May you also uh, change your mind on a cult, right? But you're open to new information. Yeah. That's what I always say. Mm -hmm. Try not to get abducted or something. Um, I read an article that was real cute. Yeah? If you have kids, it's about how um, they put students in two groups, then taught them biology and chemistry and stuff, and did a pre-interview and a post-interview. And the kids that were just doing the experiments and stuff, they didn't really have a change in how much they love science or whatever, but the ones that wore a lab coat every day oh. became really invested in uh, science and it became part of their identity and they were more inclined to want to do that as a career.
1: This shows you the importance of playing dress up.
0: And the importance of clothes every day. Oh. What you wear. Oh my God, you're so right. Right? Like when they, because I work from home and they say you should wear shoes and like act like you're actually going somewhere yes put on makeup whatever it is and um I agree I man you really
1: are like tying in a lot of like thoughts that I had in the you know last week I was um you know trying to find things to wear to the clinic because now I'm working at the clinic yeah and you think a lot about what you're going to present, especially when you have tattoos and you're working with people who are maybe coming in to see you for something that's sad or what you don't wear like a bright yellow sweater, you know, so that you think a lot about that. But I also thought for a long time I've kind of been like a, you know, what's the cheapest and what's on sale and things like that. And, you know, then I got myself a nice black blazer which yeah. was secondhand and half yeah, price so sure. didn't spend a bunch on it but still a nice quality good for bra- everything better fitting i felt like i gave better like i was a better therapist that day see because i it, that whole like dress for the job yeah. you want like you become that i looked in the mirror and i was like man you look sharp you look like like if i were sitting in a room with you i would believe and listen to what you were saying and you look like You have your stuff together, so maybe you'll help me get my stuff together, you know. Yeah. And I had a better day.
0: Right. It makes sense, though, because the mind really does pay attention to those cues when you look at someone else. Yep. And so why wouldn't it be true? We even do that. A mini mental status
1: exam to our clients who come in and we write down, are they wearing appropriate clothing for the weather, for the a thing of for wherever they were coming from. Do they look like they right. washed their
0: hair? Wow. Good to know.
1: Well, I mean, that's everywhere. I, mean, it's I like didn't a, know that you guys a, wrote
0: that crap down. Well, I mean, only if something's
1: abnormal. Yeah, right. If, you know.
0: Right, but I was like, I better get Lincoln a lab coat because I want him yes. to be into science and yes. I love that.
1: Well, remember, I think you when you were teaching him how to cook, yeah. you got him a little chef apron. outfit. Yeah. And... He was very proud of that. And he's always very proud of the things that he wears, whether it's his army guy thing. It always does have a lot to do with identity. Yeah, dress up
0: matters.
1: Dress up really, really matters. There's been
0: a lot of studies on that, about the importance of imaginative play. And how
1: it can go dark, and you look at Halloween and people's behaviors when they put on a mask. (laughs) Good point. People get real... People, like, uh, what is it called? Lower their... Inhibitions? Inhibitions. Inhibitions are lowered when... You can be in a costume. Okay,
0: that freaks me out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I will, I'm will. i going to get him a lab coat because that's super cute. I love Should. when he's into science. He's been super into his um, new robot droid oh inventor God, kit. Cute. It's so cute. Um, it's made by Little Bits, and we programmed it. We make it do tricks. We make it talk. Doesn't it, like, work with your phone, too? Yeah, there's an app nice. that you put on your phone or your iPad or whatever, and you can make it drive and go all around the house. And he built it, and then we programmed it, and it's very easy to do. Kids learn how to control the electronics with code.
1: Wow, that is so cool. It's
0: really, really cool. It's probably why it was the Toy Association 2018 Toy of the Year. Okay, there you go. Um, and... It's super easy and fun. It's great to do as a family, and that's why I love little bits. Visit littlebits.com com slash braincandy for ten dollars off a droid inventor kit. As I said, it's the toy of the year that inspires invention. Little com slash brain candy for ten dollars off a droid inventor kit. My little scientist. Um we have a guest today. Ooh. I love a guest. And we've had we had a, a paleontologist on recently. Um, Loved that interview. Loved her. She was delightful. I read his book and it's called The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs, A New History of a Lost World. How appropriate for
1: Jurassic Park
0: Fallen Kingdom coming out soon. And his name is Steve Brusati. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But the book is great because I don't have that background and kind of feel intimidated by all the different periods Mm -hmm. and what the heck. And this was such a great way to learn about the information that wasn't overwhelming. It was just really like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And cool. that happened. It gives you like a timeline yes. of like, here's what was cooking and here's how they died or what, whatever. And I feel like
1: brainiacs are going to really love this book.
0: Yeah. It's really fun. And he was really fun to talk to. So, uh, let's welcome Steve to the show. Hello, new friend. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Uh, okay. So congrats on your book. I'll tell them the title so they all go buy it. The Rise and Fall of the Dinosaurs: A New History of a Lost World. Steve, how do you feel now that you created this masterpiece?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well i feel good now that you've called it a masterpiece <laughs> i think that's the first time somebody's called it that so i hope other readers um agree with that um but you know it it, it feels cool uh, it, it's always a long process to to write these books but i hope that uh, i'm telling a story here that's a little bit different because
0: this oh wait you cut out you there hello hello can you hear me oh there you are go ahead sorry
2: how weird is that? It's Skype. Um, it's
0: like going to the. It's like my asteroid is. It's going to be the death of me. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: All right. Yeah, I was just saying. You know, it, it's a bit of a different book. It's a book for adults. It's an adult pop science type of book. And there's so many books for kids that are about dinosaurs. Not so many for adults. And I hope this book tells an interesting story, because I think this is the, one of the greatest stories in the history of our planet, how dinosaurs rose up from their humble beginnings to become the biggest, most dominant animals that have ever lived on land in the history of Earth, and then how they quickly fell apart, but how they left a bit of a legacy today in the form of birds.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're kind of wacky, though, because... You're a scholar, you're a fancy, you know, academic guy, which usually means you guys like get nichey and you write about your very specific specialization and then other academics read it. But this book is kind of like an overview where you're talking to people like me who have no idea about dinosaurs and you're making it accessible. Why did you choose to do that?
2: Well, believe me, I write plenty of those uh, niche <laughs> articles, those academic papers that are only read by five other people in the world. That's still a, a part of the academic lifestyle. Of course, yeah. we don't want our papers to be like that. Uh, and some of our papers aren't if they're published in, in some of the bigger journals. But um, But yes, you're right. By and large, academics often just talk to each other. And so I've had a lot of fun here trying to reach a a new audience. And this is the kind of writing that I like a lot more, to be honest. Uh, I love trying to tell stories, especially grand stories about evolution, to big audiences. Because to me, dinosaurs are, number one, they're, they're, they're just awesome. They're awesome creatures. They're amazing characters. But number two, they are relevant. They are important. They were an empire. They ruled the world before humans. And we can learn a lot. From the dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, you put in your introduction how there's a lesson to be learned from the ways that the dinosaurs coped or didn't with crisis. And I was uh, intrigued by that, like as if you felt that maybe we could learn a thing or two.
2: I think so. I think so. Dinosaurs, they were around for over 150 million years, they were utterly dominant. They were the Great success stories of the history of Earth. They lived on every continent, all over the world, every conceivable environment. Some of them were the biggest animals that ever lived on land. Some of these long-necked dinosaurs were the size of Boeing 737s. And then you had T-Rexes, these bus sized bone-crunching predators. <laughs> but you also had small dinosaurs, tree-climbing dinosaurs, burrowing dinosaurs, dinosaurs with wings and feathers. They had incredible diversity. But they died out when they were at the top of their game, when this asteroid came down and knocked them out. And I think there's a lesson there for us. If it could happen to the dinosaurs, could it happen to us? And that's the thought I'd like people to have in their mind as they're reading this book. And even more broadly than that, though, more broadly than that one particular thought, we should cherish dinosaurs as these real animals that had to deal with real moments of climate and environmental change constantly throughout their history. And they did a good job with it. And I think... Like studying human history, we want to understand these things so we have a better feel for how our planet works and maybe it can give us some insight that can help us in the future.
0: One of the things I was struck by while reading your book was just the enormity of the amount of time we're dealing with. And how for people like me, it can feel overwhelming. Like when you say that they were hanging out for 150 million years, I don't even know how to begin to conceptualize that. And like you'll have a paragraph in your book that'll be like 10 million years worth of stuff. (laughs) And how come that doesn't overwhelm you?
2: Oh, it does. I am putting on a little bit of a front to be honest there. (laughs) I don't think anybody, and me included, can really grasp what those time scales are because they are so out of scale with anything we're used to. I mean, most humans, if we're lucky, we live into our 80s or our 90s, and that's it. Even as a species, Homo sapiens only been around for 200,000 years. (laughs) Dinosaurs were around for 150 million years. And we can try and grasp these numbers the same way we can try and grasp the enormity of the distances of outer space. yeah. But it's, it might not really work if we try to be too intellectual about it. Instead, I think we want to approach it a little more artistically, a little more creatively, and try to allow ourselves just to be awed and and, and inspired by these vast stretches of time when you had these vanished worlds where these ancient beasts ruled the same world that, that we live on now.
0: When you did such a great job in the book of painting that picture and being such a great storyteller which makes it so that people like me can understand which why I'm really excited for our listeners to read the book um but whenever you are looking at things there are things that kind of haunt you sometimes like you talked about the Pangean shift I think it's called where the dinosaurs were able to survive and you said it keeps you up at night
2: <laughs> yeah yeah What's the deal? I mean, most- what
0: are you thinking about
2: I think most people are probably kept up at night by much more serious <laughs> things. I think that shows just maybe how charmed my life is, getting to travel around the world, studying dinosaurs. Um, but but it's true. There are some big mysteries about dinosaurs that remain. We've learned a lot about dinosaurs, over, especially over the last decade. This is the golden age. Somebody around the world right now is finding a new species of dinosaur once a week on average. It's bonkers. It's crazy nuts, the pace of discovery. Yeah. And if I tried to write this book 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But I'm able to do it now because we know a lot more about the origins, the rise to dominance, the extinction of the dinosaurs. But there's still a lot we don't know. There are still gaps in that story, there's still a lot to be discovered. I think that's a good thing for the younger generation, yeah. for maybe teenagers that are reading this book. There's still a lot to be found. And I think one of the biggest remaining mysteries is why, as you say, the dinosaurs were able to survive about 200 million years ago as the supercontinent they were living on started to split apart. And as it started to break up into these little puzzle pieces, the individual continents, you had lava coming up through those cracks. You had supervolcano eruptions (laughs) for 600,000 years. And this poisoned the planet. It led to runaway global warming. And a lot of species died out. This was one of the biggest mass extinctions in Earth history. A lot of the early crocodiles that were the competitors of dinosaurs They died, but dinosaurs sailed right through. They just kept on trucking. It's like they didn't even notice. And (laughs) then afterwards... They went into the Jurassic period, they had this new world, a wide open playing field, and that's when dinosaurs really became dominant. That's when they spread around the globe, that's when they developed enormous size, that's when some of them started to uh, develop wings and feathers and turn into birds. And I just really don't know why, I wish I had a good <laughs> answer to that, it would have made the story a lot better, <laughs> but we don't know. But. Ultimately, I think that makes it fun. We are a little bit like detectives and there are still some big mysteries about dinosaurs that are out there.
0: Why do you think it's the case that, as you mentioned earlier, there's usually a moment in a child's life where they get super into dinos and then maybe they continue, but often, you know, they move on to the next obsession. Why do you think that's the case that it's so fascinating and then they like are encyclopedic about it? And then they go to the next whatever Power Rangers moment or whatever it is.
2: (laughs) You know, I wish I knew that's exactly (laughs) what happened to my brother. And it was my youngest brother that got me into dinosaurs. I was not one of those kids that was obsessed with dinosaurs like so many of these kindergartners that I meet when I go into schools that already know the names of all the dinosaurs. (laughs) I wasn't like that. My brother was. And through him, I caught the virus, but he grew out of it like 99.9% of of all dinosaur-obsessed kids. I think there's just something, especially for kids, that's really mesmerizing about dinosaurs. I think if you go to a museum and you stand underneath the skeleton of a T-Rex, or if you watch a documentary on television and you see the CGI brontosaurus, These animals are so fantastic. Mm -hmm. They are so much more fantastic than dragons or unicorns or leprechauns or all of these things that humans have created in myths. But dinosaurs were real, and they lived on this very same planet as us, but because they're extinct, they're a little bit safe for kids. Kids don't have to worry about uh, walking home from school and being stalked by a T-Rex. So I think dinosaurs provide a little bit of space and freedom for kids.
0: Whoops, I lost you again. There you are. I don't know why it does that. (laughs) Um,
2: Strange spell. We're connected here with Scotland, you know, where I am now. And it's a long connection. I know. We're doing
0: pretty good, though, I think. I think so. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like when my kid found out that most of the dinosaurs are extinct, he cried. It was very sad for him. But, uh, you know, they have this sense of wonder about them. And I guess adults do, too. I mean, that's why we see all the movies and stuff that come out. And whenever you meet like mere mortals like me, just going about your life, what are people really wanting to know from you? Like, what do they want you to explain to them the most?
2: I think the thing people ask me the most is uh, what my favorite dinosaur is. I <laughs> think that's uh, the question. <laughs> do you have All a pet made, favorite? Just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I say, oh, it's Barney the purple dinosaur, and that really <laughs> makes them makes their eyes uh, turn. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I think. The thing other than that question that I get it is this question about – What they were really like as living animals. Because you watch Jurassic Park, uh, which I love, by the way, at least the original Jurassic Park. The franchise has gotten a little bit weird, but the original one was great and it was a big inspiration to me. But that's where most people get their knowledge of dinosaurs, that and the books they read as kids. And Mm. when people really think about dinosaurs, I think for many people that question is just, whoa, like if we saw a T Rex, if it was right in front of us, what? In the hell would it look like? How would it move? How big was it? What would it eat? Those kind of questions. And those are the questions that fire my imagination. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I try to also talk about in the book. I'm telling the the story arc of the rise and the fall of the dinosaurs, but I try to have some pullouts where we really go into some detail about what these dinosaurs were like, particularly T-Rex, because it's the icon. It's the one everybody knows and loves. But also we probably know more about T-Rex than any other dinosaur. In fact, we know more about T. rex than we do about a lot of modern animals that are still alive today, just because there is so much interest in T. rex and there are so many good fossils. And so we know T-Rex was this bust-sized, bone-crunching monster, 40 feet long, seven or eight tons. It had a head that was as long as an average human is tall. It had 50-some teeth in its mouth, each one the size and shape of a banana. Its jaw muscles were so strong they could power those teeth to literally crush through the bones of its prey but then it had those dinky, pathetic little arms and it couldn't move that fast. And when you put all that together, it's an animal that's so different than anything alive today. And I think you can't help but just being awed by it.
0: Yes. I mean, whenever you, you mention in the book, just in one sentence, how there are these people that sort of don't agree with science essentially and you were like i'm not really going to get into that do you ever meet these people when you're at work if you're at the museum or whatever where they want to debate you about stuff like that
2: it does happen sometimes and i i'm in scotland now but i grew up in the midwest i grew up near chicago but out uh in the countryside in the middle of the corn and bean fields and when i was in high school and becoming really enthused about paleontology This was in the early 2000s, you know, the first years of the Bush presidency, the George W. Bush presidency, and things like creationism and intelligent design, and these were were at the forefront. There were big national debates about these things, and people did want to debate me quite a a bit in my fairly conservative, rural hometown, uh, which is a great hometown, by the way. Uh, And I get it a little bit today, although being over here, it's just not as much of an issue. (laughs) And I could. There, there's a lot I could say, of course, and things like yeah. evolution and the the deep history of our planet, the old age of our planet, the fact our planet is a a sphere and it's not flat. All, all of these things. There's so much scientific evidence, copious evidence, and it's not just from fossils. It's not just from geology. It's from every science. I mean, if the Earth is is some six thousand year old flat plane where evolution's never <laughs> happened, that means everything we know about physics and chemistry. And every science is, is just wrong. And I could launch into diatribes about that, but I, I, I don't want to do that. And I didn't want to do that in this book. Instead, I wanted to celebrate the story of dinosaurs. And if the book is successful, I know that it will have the opportunity to reach a lot of people, a lot of readers that probably haven't thought much about dinosaurs or even science at all since high school age, maybe, and people that probably haven't really thought much about evolution or about the age of the earth, people that have maybe heard things, read things in the paper, saw things on cable television. And so I don't want to be too preachy, and I certainly don't want to um, come across as some sort of elitist snob that's throwing... (laughs) Uh, you know, criticism in people's faces. Dinosaurs, there was a study last year that dinosaurs are, are the one thing, at least the major thing, in science. That bridge the partisan divide. Everything's so partisan these days. And certain sciences are are big for people on the left and others are big for people on the right and other things are hated by those. And it's just messy. It complicates everything. But dinosaurs, the study showed everybody loves dinosaurs. And so I think there's an opportunity in a book like this to just simply tell the story of the dinosaurs and the story of how we know what we know about dinosaurs and give people the opportunity to engage with that and hopefully become inspired by it, be awed by it, and quite a bit through that osmosis of reading about these fantastic creatures.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. that really is accomplished with your book. And I was so impressed with it because it felt like you were saying, like, I know this exists and this conversation's happening, but let's instead look at how amazing a story is and let's focus on that for now and and talk about the, the amazing dinosaurs that roamed the Earth. So I, I really was impressed with that. I was wondering why. Um, the, you talked about, there was an area in New York called the Palisades. It's this hill and there's all these bones, which yep. totally blew my mind. And I was just wondering why there's these spots where, cause look, Steve, my kid wants to find the dang bones and I don't know how to break it to him that we can't just go outside <laughs> and find these bones wherever we want. So why is it that there's these kind of like hot spots where these bones tend to be
2: That's right. There's certain places where there's lots of dinosaur bones. There's some places in China, for instance, uh, now, where so many new dinosaurs are coming from, these dinosaur graveyards, these places where sometimes thousands of dinosaurs would get buried at once by a freak volcanic eruption or a flood. So those kind of places are always going to have good dinosaurs. There's other places where no dinosaurs have ever been found. In my home state of Illinois, nobody's ever found anything, not even a single bone. What? And so. That's amazing to me. And it all comes down to what types of rocks are in what places. If you're going to find a dinosaur bone or a dinosaur footprint, you need to be looking in rocks that were formed at the time dinosaurs were living and in the environments dinosaurs lived in. So you need rocks from what we call the Mesozoic era between 250-ish and 66 million years ago. And you need rocks that were formed on land and rivers and in lakes and the sort of places dinosaurs lived. Because to get a fossil, you need to have a piece of a dinosaur, a bone or a tooth or what have you, or a footprint they left behind, you need to have those things get encased in mud or sand and turned into rock. And so that only happens at certain places. But that being said, and and for your son and for all the little kids out there and for anybody out there, the great thing, though, is that once you know where those places are and you go to those places, then it's just a matter of walking around having some patience, having a good pair of shoes, a good set of eyes, and looking. Come on. You don't need need a PhD to find a dinosaur. You don't need to be a professor. You don't need to have the 10 years at university that I did so I could become an academic. Most of the dinosaurs that are found these days, or at least a large number of them, are not found by professors or grad students. A lot of them are. But are found by farmers, by uh, construction workers, by hikers, even by children out with their parents sometimes. And and that's an amazing thing. It makes paleontology a very accessible science. And that's not true of a lot of sciences. You can't just walk into a chemistry lab and perform some complex experiment. You can't walk into a particle accelerator laboratory and find a new subatomic particle if you're just a, a farmer or a kid off the street. But you can find a new dinosaur. And I tell some of those stories in the book of dinosaurs being found by farmers, by uh, construction workers digging uh, for the foundation of a new building in China and, and and so on. And it never ceases to amaze me just how good some people are at finding fossils, people that have had no real training at all.
0: So there is hope.
2: <laughs> There's great hope. Just
0: go to the right place. That's all. I'll tell them. Um, <laughs> and one of the things you talked about in the book a lot is The idea of birds and how they are maintaining this legacy of dinosaurs sort of unbeknownst to most of us. Um, And why is that so important to you?
2: Today's birds, they're all around us. There's over 10,000 species. I'm looking out my window uh, here. It's becoming the evening here in Scotland and we're just a few miles really from the North Sea and there's all these seagulls and they're flying around right out there as I speak and there's some pigeons on the ledge. These are animals we're so intimately familiar with. They are such a central part of our world today. They are dinosaurs. They are honest to goodness dinosaurs. Birds evolved from dinosaurs. That makes them Dinosaurs. And it's weird to think about it, but it's really similar to bats. So bats are a strange type of mammal that evolved the ability to fly. Birds are a strange type of dinosaur that evolved the ability to fly. And it's not just a story. It's not just something we've made up. It's not wishful thinking. It's something mm-hmm. that's real. And we know it because of fossils. We have thousands of fossils of dinosaurs mostly from China, preserved in such an immaculate condition because they were buried quickly by volcanoes, that the bones are there, but those bones are coated in feathers. Thousands of dinosaurs coated in feathers. That is the slam-dunk evidence that today's That is bur- really
0: fun when has. you talked about that in the book, too.
2: Yeah, and it... it is weird thinking <laughs> that way because <laughs> most of the dinosaurs are dead. There aren't T-Rexes anymore, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> there aren't dinosaurs anymore. There aren't Triceratopses. But this one really peculiar subgroup of dinosaurs lives on. The same way there's still descendants out there somewhere of, of the Caesars or the uh, kings of France. You know, They're still out there somewhere. They yeah. might not be in control anymore. They might not be dominant anymore. But they're there. So dinosaurs do live on in this form. And I think when you see a seagull dive-bombing, you know, (laughs) somebody sitting on the beach eating french fries or eating ice cream, I think you can see the cunning, the Mm -hmm. agility in that animal. You can sense the inner velociraptor uh, in in a seagull.
0: Yeah, I thought I was very uh, intrigued by that notion. And I had interviewed a paleontologist a few months ago, and she was saying how That's something that she reminds kids at the museum about how, you know, we always say they're extinct. It's sort of a shorthand. But, you know, if you look around, you might be able to see them, actually. And I think that might be inspiring to adults and kids alike.
2: I think so, because today's birds are a living legacy, a remnant of that great empire of dinosaurs. They carry DNA in them that they shared with T-Rex, with Triceratops, with Velociraptor. And I think it brings the story a little bit full circle. It's a connection. It shows how our world today is connected to what happened in the past. And if you think about it deeply, you can start to think about things about, okay, how the extinction of the other dinosaurs really paved the way for mammals to evolve and for humans to eventually evolve and how dinosaurs went out at the top of their game, except for some birds that made it through because they were smaller and they were more adaptable and more agile. And if dinosaurs went out at the top of their game, could it also happen to us? You know, these are the questions you can start to grapple with when you make these connections between our world today and the world of the dinosaurs. We live on the same planet. We're all part of the same evolutionary story.
0: Well, you did such a great job of making it so that the storytelling was amazing, but also accessible to folks, whatever the range of their knowledge on dinosaurs is. Um, And so I really hope everyone reads it. And also we ask everybody one question before they go, which is, uh, if you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car?
2: <laughs> oh, wow. You know, <laughs> you won't believe this, but, um, I'm, I'm, I just turned 34. Um, and I, I've had my license you know, I grew up in the U S so I've had my license since the day I turned 16, basically. It's almost 20 years, but I've never owned a car. What never- are you I- talking about? I went to college in Chicago, big city, didn't need a car. Mm. And I didn't really have the money to have a car then. And then I, moved over to England to do a master's degree and didn't want to drive on the left and all that. <laughs> then I moved back to New York, big city, and then I moved back here to the UK. And and so I'm getting I'm in the process of getting my license here. So I've never owned a car. This of course, is crazy. I've driven a lot of cars. Uh, I'll tell you two things. So my wife has a car okay. that she loves, this purple uh, Kia. Uh, she calls it radiant blue or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> she, what she has in the, in the boot of her car, as they say here, or the trunk of the car is all sorts of school supplies because she's an elementary school teacher. She teaches eight, nine, 10 year old kids. And it's a real joy to go into her classroom and, and and see those kids. And but for me, when I do have a car, it's usually if I'm going somewhere, I'm doing a field trip. And in the, the back of that car, we have our gear. We have our rock hammers. We have our chisels. We have our picks. We have our sample bags, we have our glue, we have the stuff that we need to go out and find and conserve these priceless clues, these fossils that tell us about the history of dinosaurs, the history of life.
0: Whenever you find one, then where do you put it? Like...
2: Like if found a fossil, <laughs> It depends how big it is. Yeah. <laughs> if you find a little bone or a tooth or something, it's usually fairly straightforward to remove that from the rock and consolidate it, wrap it up, put it in a sample bag, pack it away. If you find the skeleton of, say, one of these long neck brontosaurus dinosaurs, you are in for several years <laughs> of back-making labor. And I've been parts of some teams that have excavated those types of dinosaurs, and it is real hard work. It's not the sort of work you normally associate with academic scientists sitting in the ivory tower, but this is <laughs> real people, real world type of work, backbreaking work out in the sun. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun. That's another reason why paleontology is so cool. It's it's a very intellectual, academic science, but my God, we get to go out, travel around the world, yeah. and some of those places and hack dinosaur bones out of the rock how cool is that yeah
0: man you get to have adventures i got my phd in the wrong dang subject (laughs) um but your your enthusiasm is uh contagious so i'm so glad there are people like you who have such a gift of Being so smart, but being able to convey complicated stuff and make it make sense to the rest of us. So thanks.
2: Well, thank you. And I'm glad to hear that. The book has just come out in the U.S. and I'm in this nervous, kind of excited phase to, you know, seeing what readers think of it and obsessively checking Amazon, seeing where the rankings are. Ooh, I'll leave you
0: a review. I loved it. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I'll put it on Goodreads. Uh, We'll spread the word for sure.
2: That's fantastic. I just, you know, like anything, whenever you produce something like this, you just hope that people take notice and, and people like it and get inspired by it. I think the dinosaurs have such an amazing story to tell and I hope I've done it justice but it's been a whole lot of fun and there's still a lot to discover out there.
0: Yes. And congratulations. You did a fantastic job and I can't wait to hear how people love it and keep up the good work.
2: All right. Well, thanks a lot, Susie. And thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. (laughs) Bye.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Yep. Bye.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Wave Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows, including the Brain Candy Podcast, I Don't Get It, Babes and Babies, Coffee Convos, and Let's Talk About It.